61st Street is an American legal drama set in Chicago, produced by AMC, executively produced by Michael B. Jordan, airs on The CW, and stars Angela Bassett's husband, Courtney B. Vance, Halt and Catch Fire, and Ready or Not's Mark O'Brien, and Mindhunter's Holt McElhaney. Now, we haven't done a ton of courtroom dramas, especially lately. The last ones I can think about are The Lincoln Lawyer, So Help Me Todd, In the Dark, Law and Order, Bird Girl, <laughs> She-Hulk, Perry Mason, and The Premise. But all of those have something in common. They don't like the majority of them don't actually take place in court. Now, I know individual right. episodes do, but we haven't looked at those specifically. In fact, this season two, episode seven, the offer of 61st Street, it's the first time I remember spending more than 50% of an episode in a courtroom. I think it's around 70% here. And the trial is is actually pretty interesting. It's the penultimate episode to the uh, season finale that and sense. possibly series finale. Okay. But uh, what is the trial about? All right. So here's how the story goes. It, it revolves, I think, around what happened in season one, but I'm not sure because I haven't seen it. But someone was on trial for killing a cop and they were ultimately found innocent and the police were furious. So they go to a cop bar after that person has been found innocent and they get plastered. Then one of the hothead cops, right? His name is Johnny Logan and he is the defendant in this episode. He's played by Mark O'Brien and he's the first person I saw in this show and I was surprised to see him because I haven't seen him since Halt and Catch Fire and Ready or Not and, and he's just a good actor. And so he allegedly leaves the bar before everyone else or no, actually, he leaves the bar after everyone else, and then he goes, drives around for a while, and then he sees a black man, and he beats that person to death. That's how the story goes. Okay. But throughout this episode, we get to see the witness testimony and the cross-examination. All the witnesses are either cops, ex-cops, forensics people, and they all tell some version of the same convenient story, which is, I was completely outside of what Johnny Logan was doing. I have an alibi. Um, you, you can't connect it back to me, right? Now, when you said that 50% of this takes place in the courtroom, do you, see, do you see flashes of like outside? Like, the, side story, story? the side story is the weakest part. And I would think that if I watched one of the regular episodes where that takes up maybe 50% of the episode, I would not have liked the show as much. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this uh, episode a 7 out of 10. It's fun. It's a, it, it seemed like you could watch it independently and you wouldn't even have to see any other episodes to, to like it. It's fun. That surprises me because this is also produced by the people who did The Shy and Just Mercy. That's the yeah. Michael B. Jordan film that came out in 2019. Now we're getting into those, my comparisons. Those are show. both heavy topics. Yeah. So when I say fun, I don't mean that. Uh, I mean, like, altogether, the plot had like a really cool twist at the end. Oh, okay. Like you knew it was going to happen, but but the way they made it work. Um, so throughout this episode, I told you we get those witness testimonies, right? Yes. And then at the final like reveal of the show is that they do a re-cross-examination of one of the witnesses and with new evidence that has come to light that the prosecution side has actually brought to light. So they, they're actually like um, shooting themselves in the foot because they bring this new evidence to light. It seems damning. It seems like it's going to send Johnny Logan to prison immediately. Uh -huh. But what ends up happening is it opens up the uh, prosecution to a recross examination for one of their biggest witnesses. And the way that uh, the main character then, uh, Franklin, goes at it is he's able to completely destroy the cop's credibility and hence destroy the lieutenant cop's credibility and uh, then by doing so destroy the department's credibility. Okay. So I have to actually get into the nitty gritty of what this actual episode does. Right, right? because Peter Moffat, he's the one that created this series. I think that he was a lawyer at some point. Yeah. So obviously that came into play, especially probably for this episode. But yeah, go into the details. Well, I want to compare it to Seven Seconds because they have also done courtroom stuff and it dealt with race. Uh, the Shy, 
the wire. It's definitely topical. Um, it's it's a little self-righteous. So, okay. so I will give it that like little nick. So the first witness that we get in this episode is Dr. Prasad, and he's talking about the guy who died. I think his name is Wayne, and he's talking about how like the person who killed him would have even heard the bones crunch. That's how badly beaten this dude was. Oh, wow. And so he's trying to like, it's a reverse character witness. You know how character witnesses are supposed to go up there and like help you out if you're the defendant and say, this person's actually a great person. This is the exact opposite. They're using these, these witnesses to completely tarnish this cop and make him seem like he was just a lone central, like, or like he was just completely out of it on his own. And he, again, no connection with the rest of them. So is it like almost the full episode? You don't know that that's supposed to be happening. Like it, when no, you the, twist, like is it supposed to be like this whole episode? The main was character of the show, that? Franklin, is the guy's lawyer. So you know right. that Atticus Finch moment is going to happen. You just don't know how it's going to happen. But Dr. Prasad goes up there and there's no follow-up questions by Franklin, the defendant's side. And so it just seems like they're letting this guy go without questioning how bad the guy was beaten. Mm -hmm. So that so that like it's it's making the jury really, really hate Johnny Logan. And then we have a DNA forensics expert who comes in there and uh, she has the gun that Johnny had that has Johnny's DNA all over it. Oh, okay. So it was found. a gunshot that actually killed him. I guess so. Yeah, um, <laughs> again, I wasn't there for the murder, so I don't I, I didn't see what actually went down. Um, all I'm doing is piecing it together from what they're talking about. But Franklin brings up the point that like, yeah, they found the gun in the sewer system like 40 days after the murder. But the fact that the DNA was still complete at that point, that it had it, that they were able to determine like 100% that it was Johnny's makes it seem as if maybe it was like picked up held for a really long time and then given yeah, up as evidence. Yeah, a full month. And so he just insane. plants that idea out there. But then we get the cops' testimony. There's Freighter and Gallagher, and those are the partners of um, uh, of Johnny Logan. And they're there to basically say the same story, which is that they were at the bar with Johnny. Johnny was drinking way too much. He was going a bit crazy. They left before 8 p.m., and Freighter went home and even called up Lieutenant Brannigan, who's the big boss guy. And he actually had his tab open for any cop who wanted to drink that night. So, so he went home talk to uh, his boss at eight o'clock and that number is very important because later on it will come into play as to incriminate uh, both cops so okay. then we also get the so okay yeah because you were saying the full department gets shut down okay i see where this is going now yeah, yeah. Okay, so ahead. so again then gallagher gets up to testify i think like the chief the, the one below the lieutenant but above like a normal cop also was there and he says he actually went to lieutenant brannigan's place to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation so he was he was he's he is his alibi completely because he was with him at the time at 8 p.m. when uh, Brannigan was getting these phone calls. Right, okay. And then we get the cop who runs the low bar. So he's like an ex-policeman who decided to buy the low bar and all these cops that come in there. So he's friends friendly with them. Um, so so uh, the thing is, though, that Franklin then pulls out the receipts. And so he sees that um, even if they're being liberal with uh, how much Freighter and Gallagher drank, and they were to take those out. The only person other that uh, the, the only other person could have been Johnny Logan, who was drinking. And so what they're saying is that there were 42 shots and 17 IPAs within two hours that they must dead. have consumed. That's exactly what <laughs> they say. Absolutely dead. They said, okay, so if we're going to take it out and say you guys were completely sober when you left at eight o'clock, and that you left at eight o'clock and you didn't stay any longer th than that, um, then that means that Johnny consumed all this alcohol, and he's talking directly to the low bar guy, and he says, under your like full um, uh, experience as a police officer, 
could someone survive that? <laughs> and, uh, I mean, yeah, obviously. And the guy was like, I, he was being really cagey. He was like, I, I'm not a scientist. I can't say one way or the other. But he's like, yeah, but based off your experience. And so this is when they start to like weed away at the storyline. But uh-huh. that's when the new evidence drops. So there's this video out there that Miss Pearson, the prosecution uh, side attorney lady, gets. And it shows Johnny Logan pulling over the, I think the guy he kills, and just beating the hell out of him. And the thing is, that video was only given to Franklin. He was the only one who had that video. And so Johnny is sitting there watching himself beat this other guy, hearing the jury groan. And basically, the courtroom is almost overtaken by people who are like outside protesting. Wait, wait. So, so I have a quick question here. You're yeah, saying yeah, yeah. that Franklin was the only one who had this incriminating video. Exactly. Did he, did he give it to them? Or is this supposed well, to be like, we don't know who ended up getting their hands I'll, on I'll it? I'll get there in a second. So they need to find find a way to leave the courtroom uh, without having Johnny be like bombarded or, or right. crushed by like the crowd. So they do one of those things where he like flips out at Franklin, like flip, flips out his cars. And then he takes Franklin to Muhammad Ali's house. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Wait, so apparently what? he used to live in Chicago and this was supposed to be a whole allegory for the case. So remember what, what, what is Muhammad Ali always famous for doing? Uh, well, like a butterfly thing, like a bee yes. wrestling. He took all the hits. Especially his most famous fight with George Foreman. He would take all the battering first and make the other side think that they had the advantage, right? Uh But then at the last second where where it feels like the other person is about to win, that's when he's like, I just took what you got and I'm going to lay it all back on you, right? Yeah. And and so so that's what they're doing here. He's pulling the rope-a-dope. And uh, and so Johnny Logan's like, it feels like we're losing. (laughs) And Franklin says, you don't get it. Um, I did release that tape because now with the tape, which he kind of fake, uh, like, protested against. Like, he told the judge, like, this isn't fair. You can't just introduce new evidence. That wasn't into the discovery, knowing full well that the prosecution was going to be able to railroad this thing because of it, it, it having such importance to the case. But by doing that, he allowed all the witness testimony to come forth from Brannigan to all the cops, and then he was able to go back and pull Brannigan because of the tape. He said, uh, I have extra evidence as well. And the courtroom has to take that in. So now so that- Brannigan goes up on the stand, and we never saw his testimony up until now. And Brannigan's played by Holt McElhenney, which is, he has, he's got the most cop face in the entire um, acting world. <laughs> yeah, so that's why, they, like in Mindhunter, he plays similar where he's supposed to be the gruff cop. So he gets up on the stand, very intimidating, like, and just as they're playing, replaying the video of Logan beating up this black guy, right? right. They have the timestamp on the side. And right after that's done, there's a timestamp on the bar and they have only the angle of the feet apparently because the, the, the cop knew where the camera was. So he, so Brannigan's feet are shown and he's wearing these vintage Doc Martens. And so then that's when Franklin's like, could you stand up and walk out? And so he does. Wait, you're telling me that the person that ended up doing this. He didn't is, realize he, it was going to happen. No, I understand. But if you do, if he knows where the cameras are and he would wear the same shoes that he wore. He didn't the, know that there, that there were cameras on him, I don't think. So when he, and if you have vintage Doc Martens that you're known for wearing, I, I do think it's a little convenient that he wore them. To I the thought courtroom. that you said that he but, knew where the cameras were. I, I think he thought he was dodging them by like staying close to the okay. side or something. So he walks out at the same time, but this is showing it's a timestamp past eight o'clock, past the time he's supposed to be at home, talking to the one other chief cop and then also getting the phone calls from his partners. This undoes everybody's storyline. And it also uh, slowly shows that he, Brannigan may have been the person to pick up Logan, which was 
which would complicate factors and also make it seem like there were a lot more cops who killed Wayne than just Logan mm-hmm. and that they're just using him as a scapegoat. But that old, big old gotcha moment, like the death stare that Lieutenant <laughs> Brannigan gives Franklin and Franklin does like an awesome job as an attorney doing like kind of like, I'm not going to go overboard. There are several points where I think that the prosecution should have said objection and before they end up doing so. But what would um, they object? Like relevance or? Okay, well, there's a point where uh, this is just a nitpick, right? Right. Where he says, y'all are liars. Like he, he literally looks at all the cops and he's like, this proves it all. You're all liars. And so like, I would have thought like that's, uh, you object to that and you say, um, uh, not relevance, <laughs> but, but you say uh, that's a speculation or uh-huh. something. I don't know. Um, but but overall, I still think it, it came across as a really good courtroom. So, that, so that's where the episode ends. Yeah, we've sort of had our big twist. The side story I'll just touch upon really quickly. We get this smug, uh, suave gang leader who meets up. Like he has a heart of gold, but he also hates white people. He wants Chicago or at least part of Chicago to be owned only by black businesses. And he's invited Norma, who is the mom of one of the of uh, the kid that was accused of killing the cop, Michael, in the first season. Exactly, yes, I think. Right. And yeah. I think at the and end, we don't actually really see him that much. The main the second main character. I believe at the end of the first season, that kid is uh, he's found guilty. So no, he's I, found innocent. That's the whole thing. Well, he's found innocent. And then the cops freak out and they go to the bar and then that's when logan goes and apparently kills this wayne dude that's what was that and i i wasn't even sure if franklin was the attorney on the case but i have to assume he was. i know no he was yeah i know that for a fact yeah yeah yeah. and every every scene that um the main character is in is i was there for like he is just <laughs> fun to watch he this is this is his element i think that he could be cast alongside any courtroom drama and be fun well yeah i mean he has a huge filmography and it doesn't mean anything though like i, I might dislike something else he's in the orange is the new black lady who's like his co-counsel um she's she plays nicole but in um in, in like she's a side character but but in orange is the new black i hated her character and this she's perfectly fine so that's that's just well i know that corny b vance again he's the person that played franklin he's played a lawyer and other things before he was in the people versus oj which was critically acclaimed his role was critically acclaimed as well he yeah. was also in law and order which i know you said that that was a comparison to this tv show and so i think that he has a lot of uh just depth when it comes to playing these types of he roles. does make sort of the joke about the overworked underpaid underappreciated public defender which is completely relevant and credible however he says i couldn't afford a tesla he's done it for like 20 to 30 years a Tesla's like thirty thousand dollars i think he could afford a tesla <laughs> i think that joke has been overplayed before because a tesla does not cost millions of dollars so the show didn't come across as preachy at all uh yeah i said it has its moments where it's a little self-righteous um, but, and I think if it had concentrated more on that storyline with a gang member with a heart of gold that I would have yawned a little bit because I would have been like, I've seen this and it's been done in a more delicate fashion or in a, in a, not a delicate fashion, but certainly a more realistic fashion in things like the wire. Um, or, or that, what was that John Barenthal show that came out pretty recently? Oh, we own the streets. Yes. We own the streets. Like those type of shows, it feels like gives a, give a grittier, realer look at, uh, this type of stuff than, I don't know this, this, yeah, this was the most shy part of the episode and it was more soap opery than I would have preferred. Well, Kamal yeah. Angelo Bolden, he played young in the show. He's supposed to be one of the few black officers in an all white unit. Cause like you were saying, this is supposed yeah, so to take he, place in Chicago. He's the, the one side. who went to Norma's place at one point and said, the real story is that Lieutenant 
Brannigan actually was driving um, Johnny Logan around Mm -hmm. after Johnny Logan did what he did. And then he's asking Norma not to tell because he apparently like planted evidence or something. Norma really hates him. Um, But he's trying to make amends for that by telling Norma, who's then going to tell Franklin, who's then going to use that material for later. Uh, I am going to be curious how the next episode goes. So, so I you, will you, watch you, the finale. You watch the finale? Yeah. Okay, because they shot both seasons simultaneously. Uh, hmm. The first season and the uh, and the second season. But they only showed the first season on AMC last year. Yeah, it reminds me of Captain Fall, how they had 20 episodes made for the first season. They, they completely animated the first 10. And they were going to do the same thing with the next 10 as soon as it was uh, greenlit. Right. But then it never got greenlit for that. But you're saying they actually have them ready in the Well, big- because this is on season the CW what yeah. AMC did was they aired the first season they canceled the show back in like January they said that they were not going to be showing season two at all and then the CW picked up all 16 episodes and decided that they were going to air the second season which again was already done the weird thing is is that we talked a lot on this show about how CW was acquired by Nexstar by like 75 percent mm-hmm. and I said how Nexstar and like even the owner of the CW uh, Greg Berlanti said that like scripted content is especially true when comes to dc shows but any uh like scripted show on the cw is not their main priority yeah in fact the cw same goes for discovery too well yeah exactly because cw made a deal with acc which is like a college uh i guess sports programs and they were going to pick up like five uh sports to air football games and like men's and women's basketball it's really weird because in disney right now is really suffering with espn like espn just had to go out and buy um not DraftKings but the other one um in order to try to scrounge up business and make that more um, uh, reliable for them because it, for the longest time, ESPN was a big moneymaker for Disney. Right. But then on Apple, uh, like Messi and that whole soccer thing is actually driving a ton of people to go over to Apple TV. So it seems like there is a sports industry, but some places are losing business and some places are gaining it. Well, so, the, yeah. the weird thing is, is that the CW is only wanting five US scripted shows or less and to this be is shown one of them? on their, yeah, to be shown on their show. So it was so strange when I read network. that the CW decided to pick up season two of this, which it seems like didn't get. Yeah, well, it was really already made. It was it was probably cheap, and so all they needed to do was air these few episodes. So I, I don't see it as a mistake because again, the cast is really good. Um, I, I Mark O'Brien, Holt McElhenney. When I first saw the cover of this, and I saw Sixty First Street, and I knew that I had never seen any sort of marketing for it, I was a little concerned because. In an age when the writer strike is happening, you would think that they would be marketing the hell out of any scripted show that they still have yeah. that they haven't dispersed yet. But because they hadn't, I was I was afraid for this one. And, and when I started watching it, I was just pleasantly surprised. It has a six point five on IMDb, seventy one percent critic and audience score. The AV Club gave the series a C plus and called the show heavy handed. But yes. then you also have Richard Roper, like he gave the series three out of four, four stars and says Sixty First Street is an expertly crafted production with docu drama cinematography but i want to take it take a second to talk about peter moffat does he sound uh familiar to you? uh just as similar as stephen moffat who i think created doctor who or something i don't think there's any relation <laughs> between them yeah but i do have a game here again he's someone who i believe was a lawyer that's why he was able to write such a show that like deals david with whatever his face is from the practice and stuff. so yeah. i have three truths and two lies here so two it. of these are lies and you just have to figure out which one out of these five i'm ready so in 2004 peter moffat wrote and directed hawk about Stephen Stephen Hawking, which starred Benedict Cumberpatch in the lead role. That's the first one. The second one is he wrote an original series that the critically acclaimed The Night Of is based on. The third one is Decider said about the first season of 61st Street to stream it. 
The fourth one is, we've done one of the shows he developed before for this podcast. And the fifth one is, Chris Brancato, writer of Godfather of Harlem, wrote all 16 episodes for this series. So you have the Benedict Cumberpatch fact, the uh, the Night of fact, Decider uh, saying skip it, and then we've done one of the shows for the podcast, and that the Godfather of Harlem writer wrote the 16 episodes of this. I remember for the night of, like, the writer's name would pop up every single episode. Obviously, it would, but, like, it was right before they went into the actual thing. And that would be, like, James Gandolfini. Um, uh, and I feel like he had something to do with that. Um, I'll go ahead and... Ah, uh, man. Um, I have no idea, so I'll, I'll say the last one was false you were actually right the godfather of harlem has nothing to do with this yeah. but he did write the critically acclaimed uh criminal justice that starred like ben wishaw from q from the james bond films fargo mary poppins returns mm-hmm. and then they took that and they based the night of which i know that you saw the full series for that off of it and yeah. then the show that we've done actually before this was back in december of 2020 if you remember we did your honor we okay. created that series all well. right yeah, yeah that makes sense so it's between then the last two which is again the uh i night of and um what oh i mean i thought i was just what was the other it. one though the, uh, the other one was that the cider said to about the first season to skip it they so that, said to stream it okay was, so they said the stream yeah it. yeah this is one of the unique shows though where i won't recommend like the earlier episodes i would just recommend watching this one and then the finale well so, you haven't yeah. seen you haven't seen the other i'm, I'm not saying don't watch them i'm just saying like i i have a feeling that they weigh more heavily on like the mellow drama and right. that these two episodes are, are really the climax really like where things are brought together and it's still got a little bit of melodrama if you like that but it's it's i think mostly it's kind of uh, in a weird way like making a murder where you're watching the evidence come out there and you're like oh well this is really damning and then you're watching the other side like pick it apart and uh, yeah i'm just gonna say uh, seven out of ten okay all right thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode hope you enjoyed this one bye bye, bye.